So, pardon me if you see me doing this because my sleeves are longer than my jacket. So, if I get a little animated up here and you see the sleeves come out, you're just going to have to deal with it. So, this morning's message, as you can see in the bulletin, is seeking contentment. So, listen to the news today just for a few minutes, and you will see people with all of the following emotions, anger, confusion, disappointment, sadness, happiness, envy, satisfaction, dissatisfaction, frustration, encouragement, discouragement, and the list goes on. Depending on what that subject is and how it touches you at the moment, you may also uh, relate to something that goes on. How many of you here, honest show of hands, how many of you watch the news or get in a conversation with someone and find yourself going off the edge with one of these emotions? I'm going to raise two hands <laughs> because I'm still in the workforce. So uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the subject today. Matter of fact, uh, I'm sure there's not one of us here this morning that have not heard from someone, maybe even including yourself, that I don't watch the news anymore because I can't stand to watch it, right? Uh, as I get in conversations with individuals every day, uh, I often make the comment that the culture has shifted and it has shifted mightily and it's not coming back unless the Lord will so. The culture has shifted so much for those of us here that are children of the 60s. Uh, those were tumultuous times. But somehow we came back from that and somehow all the anger that was there during the Vietnam War uh, kind of ebbed away and we came to our senses, that is, when I say our, my generation, and, uh, and got back to it. And I think a lot of that has to do with things that were instilled in us as young people. Uh, if every one of us probably had a father or a grandfather that was part of the Korean War or World War II. And all of that I think came back and we were finally able to come to our senses, the, the, uh, get back to the uh, workforce and uh, move away from Woodstock and all that stuff. Brings back memories, doesn't it, <laughs> for some of you? So uh, the list is usually, this list is usually more negative than positive. Again, you turn on the news, you're going to see much more negativity than positivity. Uh, matter of fact, uh, news stations have to work very hard to point out positive things. Sometimes at the end of a newscast, they may point out a little highlight of something that was really good, a, a warm, fuzzy feeling, if you will. But these, uh, these things can be, for a moment, any one of these emotions, or they can be uh, there for a while and hang around. And if they do hang around then it's going to impact our day. So if we let some of these emotions 
you're watching the news early in the morning and you let that linger, it's definitely going to impact how we're going to relate to others during the course of the day. And if you take a few seconds and look at it from a distance, the bigger picture, if you will, it only takes a moment to realize that people are not happy. So I would ask you as, as we go out in the work day and uh, meet and greet people for those that are not working, uh, how do we let this affect us as Christians as we relate to others? You know, are we, are we quickly dismissing it and uh, moving forward or are we letting it linger? A couple quotes that I want to read to you this morning. I always like to look for things that relate to the subject because it kind of sets the stage for what we're going to talk about this morning. So part of this process, which we're not going to talk about today, is uh, complaining, right? I'm sure nobody here complains during the course of the week about anything, but if you do, complaining is like bad breath. How so, you say? You notice it when it comes out of someone else's mouth, but not your own. And that's a quote from William Bowen. Another quote that I found that I thought was interesting was, a man was marooned on a desolate island. After he had been there for five years, he was found and rescued. As he climbed into the rescue boat, the curious rescuers noticed three grass huts. We thought you were alone. Why are there three huts, they asked. asked. The man replied, the first hut is my home. The second is my church. What about the third hut, they asked. Oh, that's the church I used to belong to. So the point is, we're never really happy, are we? It seems that way. So, people, when you turn that channel on, as you can see, we see it in society today, so much anger and frustration and complaining and on and on it goes. You get the idea very, very quickly that people are not happy and not a lot of contentment. But everybody wants to be happy. Everybody here want to be happy? Thought so? Just thought I'd ask. We'd love to be happy all the time, wouldn't we? But it's elusive. Happiness only seems to occur at brief moments of time. And thankfully, we appreciate those brief moments. And let's talk about definitions for a minute. So according to Wikipedia, here's what they say about happiness. Happiness is the context of mental or emotional states is positive or pleasant emotions ranging from contentment, and of course that's the key word this morning, to intense joy. So everybody, in a sense, is searching for happiness, therefore contentment. But they may not realize that contentment's what they're searching for, right? We may not even realize that. So what is the definition of contentment? Contentment is the state, and I want you to listen to this very carefully because the last sentence, I think, spells it out the way it should be for us. Contentment is the state of being happy and satisfied. On Thanksgiving, when you think about all that you are grateful for, and that's coming up very soon, isn't it? 
hopefully you feel a sense of contentment. If not, have another piece of pie and then you will feel contentment. Contentment isn't an excited kind of happy. It's more like a peaceful ease of mind. And that's really what we're looking for, isn't it? That peaceful ease of mind. Uh, contentment is such an elusive thing. And that's why we're talking about it this morning. Uh, Solomon said that there is nothing new under the sun. So we should not be surprised that the emotions we listed earlier were common to man right from the beginning. Now let's talk about Solomon for a minute. Solomon was the wisest man, right, ever. But Solomon had it all. Now, I was going to read the scripture in the interest of time. I'm, I'm going to hold that, but you'll find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, uh, that Solomon, when God asked him what he wanted, he said that he wanted wisdom. He wanted wisdom. I wonder how many of us, if asked the same question, would ask for wisdom. But because he asked for wisdom, God granted him it all. He had wealth, extreme wealth. He had the wisdom and he had everything he wanted. If you read the story of Solomon, you know all the wives, concubines he had. He, he was subject to it all. And in the end, what did he say? All is vanity. All is vanity. Emptiness, I heard that word. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all for naught, isn't it? So what are reasons why we are not content? There's probably a lot. I'm only going to keep it very simple. I'm going to keep it to two this morning. So certainly, first and foremost, wanting more. And if you don't find yourself wanting more, I want to talk to you. Because that must mean that you are a lot more content than I am. It's, it's a human thing to want more. Most people are seeking bigger, better, and more all the time. Even when we can't have what we would like, we dream about it and maybe envision what it would be like if we did. And if you don't think that's true, enter the lottery. Now, lottery just went up to a huge record. Somebody out there hasn't claimed it yet. Uh, but somebody won over a billion dollars, over a billion, and they're going to net, I don't know, seven, eight hundred million dollars. Uh, and uh, I would imagine that there's some folks out there that probably thought, wow, what would that be like? Just a natural thing, right? What would that be like to win all that money? Uh, I could tell you that when we talk about the lottery, and there's a lot of people that play the lottery, do you think there's any Christians that play the lottery? Yeah. I wonder if Christians should play the lottery. I'm not going to answer that question for you. I'm just going to leave it as a, as a question. Should Christians play the lottery? Because think about if, uh, so let's give you an attitude, because attitude is part about what we're talking about here this morning. So uh, you play the lottery and you think it's not a bad thing. I'm not really gambling. I'm just playing the lottery. I'm choosing some numbers. And you win a great sum of money. 
let's not talk about a billion, let's say you win 500 million, half a billion. And you say, okay, uh, God, I'm not only going to give you 10%, I'm going to give you half of it. Well, first of all, it's all God's anyway, right? So now you feel that you've done a really good thing. You've given half that money away to all good causes, and now you've got half of it. So now what do you do with that half? Where's your mind? What is your mind on? If you've ever thought about this, what it would be like to win that sum of money, I can assure you that your mind is going to be more on what you're going to do with that money, how you're going to spend it, what you're going to buy, how you're going to keep it, who you're going to hire to help you keep it. See where I'm going with this? And if your mind's on that, what's your mind not on? The Lord. So do you think God wants you to play the lottery? I ask the question. Leave it there. I read this quote from a gentleman by the name of John Stuart Mill. I have learned to seek happiness by limiting my desires rather than in attempting to satisfy them. I think that's a good quote. You know, it's not easy to look at someone else's new car, new home, improvements to their home, the glorious vacations that they took, even where their kids are going to college if you're in that age. Uh, the list is unending, and so are the desires to have them. It's a hard thing to not feel the next emotion that we're going to talk about. Anybody want to guess what that is before we put it up there? Starts with an E. Envy. Envy. So wanting more. Now you can see why I'm keeping it to two, right? Because I think we've got it covered. Wanting more and envy. You have a discussion with somebody and they're telling you all this great stuff they got or you, or you see other people. It's every day. Every day. See it on TV. The emotion is called envy. And let's see what, the, before we see what God's Word says to say about envy, let's, let's get the definition of envy. Envy is an emotion which occurs when a person lacks another's superior quality. So that could be a promotion at work achievement or possession and either desires it wishes that the other lacked. Aristotle defined envy as pain in the sight of another's good fortune. Whoa. Stirred by those who have what we thought we should have. And there's another part of this emotion. Again, I think it's, I think it's just a natural thing. You see somebody that you know, achieves a great achievement, uh, wins something, buys something, whatever the case may be, gets a great promotion, and you're envious of that. Here's the second part of that, that you're not happy for them, right? That's a whole other part of the equation. Now you wish it didn't happen to them, especially if you don't like the person. And we're not supposed to not like people. Just want you to know that when I say that. Here's what God's Word says about envy. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Ooh, 
the rottenness of the bones. And here is how we are to think. And I believe, uh, I think it was last week, Pastor Bob even talked about attitude uh, last week in his message from Galatians 5, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, here's where we're supposed to be. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So we know, as if we didn't know before, why we and why everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, are not content. You can just see by those two things, desiring, wanting more, and envying those who have it. That's, that's a lot to overcome, isn't it? Can't do it on your own. I assure you, you cannot do it on your own, not without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Does seem to be a natural desire to want more than we need. God promises all that we need, does He not? We may not feel that way from time to time, especially and that's a whole nother part of this discussion is when you're going through a tough time. How easy is it uh, to be content when you're going through a tough time? And yet, God says that we should learn how to do so. For the Christian, it's not only unproductive to experience not being content, but also detrimental. It's detrimental to our relationship with him and it's detrimental to our growth. Charles Spurgeon, who's got just an incredible number of quotes. If you ever want to check it out, go online and, and look under Charles Spurgeon. There's a whole uh, library, uh, not sure where it's located, uh, but uh, of, of his sermons, which are long, and his quotes. He's got a lot of good ones. But here's what he says. It is not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. A gentleman who I do not know named James McDonald says this, I don't have everything I want, but I have everything I need. That's contentment. Let me read that again. I don't have everything I want, but I have everything that I need. That's contentment. And that's the attitude that we are supposed to have. How about you? Do you have everything you need? Are you content with what you have and where you are in life? It's a fair question. We have to stop and think this. Who am I? Who do I belong to? And who guides my life? That enough when we know that it's Jesus Christ who guides our lives as Christians. Makes you wonder, if we struggle with this, how about the unbeliever? How about the person who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior? How much do they struggle with contentment if we struggle with contentment? And again, it's, 
it's, a, it's an attitude, it's a mindset. We have to be mindful of it all the time. I can tell you this, preparing this message. Uh, I'm a deacon, I'm not a pastor. But in, in any deacon, if Brother Mark were here, he would share the same thought, I'm sure. Uh, it'd be real easy to just lay out a message, you know, find something to talk about. But when you pray about it and, and you want to have an impact on whoever is listening, you would hope that there would be some change. And, and I want you to know that, by the way, I'm speaking to myself. I don't have this, just because I'm talking about it and I'm the person delivering this message, I don't have this mastered. I struggle with the same things we all do. Why? Because we're still here in the flesh, right? I mean, we all struggle with this. But we, everybody, including every pastor that stands behind a pulpit on Sunday morning, wants his congregants, his flock, to experience change. Why else would he be up here? Right? That's, that's, that's the uh, direction that God has given him. How many of us hear the sermon, and it could be a good sermon, and we don't abide by it? We, get, we leave these doors, we're out in the world, uh, radio, TV, media, you name it, and it's very easy to get caught up in all these emotions. So here's the thing. It's, and I'm talking to myself, it's a mindset. We have to want to change. If you say, wow, I'm not content, and, and, and I am at moments, but I want to be content more times than not. That's a mindset. That's an attitude. You, we have to work at it. It's not going to happen automatically. Otherwise, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling. You say, yeah, that's, that's me from time to time, but I, I agree with that. Great sermon, pastor. And then we find ourselves right back where we were. This is just one topic, right, of how many topics in 66 books. We can't do it on our own. It can only happen through prayer and through reading the scriptures. Now look, again, I'm here with you. If you are not in this book during the week, if you are not in prayer for others, missing the mark. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I can't motivate you, I can't be in your house, I can't sit with you and say, let's get into God's word together. Only each of us on our own can do that. Amen? So, here's one uh, key to contentment. Because we belong to Jesus Christ and because we are trying to emulate Him, we should have a better attitude about being content than the world does. So let's talk about Paul. Paul in his letters to the Philippian church said this, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13, you can see it up on the screen. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein we also, we were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, 
Not that, I not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. There's the verse. And what did Paul say about himself? He was chief among sinners, right? Well, if Paul was chief among sinners, where does that put us? I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Staying with Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about uh, all the things that he has experienced. And he's doing this not to boast. He's doing this to point out his genuine service to Christ. To the Corinthian church. Because there were many deceivers among them. So here's what he says. Are they ministers of Christ? He's talking about them. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I. Forty stripes, save one. Now, I don't know what it's like to be beaten 40 times. Let your mind do the work. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of mine own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So besides all the things that he experienced physically. Here's the mental part, the care for all the churches. And Paul care for the churches? Think about it. Think about every letter that he wrote in the New Testament. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And yet, with all of this, he knew how to be content. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read verse 11 again in Philippians 4. This is Paul. Not that I speak uh, in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content after all all of that experience. What do we experience in life in comparison to that? And we're not happy. And we're not content. So maybe that's a kind of a springboard thought, if you will, to try and change our attitude just a little. Look, I'm okay in doing things incrementally. 
I mean, do we expect to snap our fingers and I'm leaving those church doors and man, you're going to see a change in me. I'm going to be content with everything I experience. No, that's not going to happen. Pick a starting point. Find a place where we are not, each of us, doing the best we can, serving God. Now look, you got one of these in your house? Bet you have more than one. If you stare at it and you feel good because you have one, is that the same as opening these pages and reading what's in it? I don't think so. There's a good starting point. You know, and I've heard stories, you have too, where some people, they just say, wow, look, this is huge. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, so people will go like this. They'll say a prayer to God. You know, God, sh show me uh, something that I need, I need to learn today. Speak to me. So they go like this and they go to a verse. No, that's not the way it's to be done. Find a devotion. We hand out daily breads. A lot of people take them. A lot of people don't take them. Take that daily bread. It's a short verse. There's some verses in there that you can turn to. Great way to start. How many minutes does that take out of your day? Now look, uh, I, my intent is not to preach this convicting thing so we leave here, but you know what? Sometimes we have to hear some things that we don't want to hear. So look, I'm going to tell you, I, wasn't, I didn't know if I was going to relate this to you, but I'm going to tell you like it is, and I'm, I wish I could play it for you on YouTube. I would encourage you to go look it up for yourself because it'll, it'll have a lot more impact. So uh, I don't know if anybody of you know who Paul Washer is. Okay, so uh, last, about a week ago, I was screening, you know, screening down some YouTube things. And uh, I saw this message, and it's in two parts. Uh, and I haven't watched the second one yet. I watched the first one. And uh, it was late at night, so I, I just clicked on it. And it said, uh, the message was, uh, sorry, it eludes me at the moment, but it caught my attention. So I clicked on it, and Paul Washer, I don't know if he was visiting a church, but he's talking about uh, Christ. And in a sense, he's talking about uh, the world and uh he goes on, and you could hear his voice slowly pick up. He's not yelling, but you could hear his voice pick up in volume as he's relating this to the, the people that he's talking to. And he says to them that uh, uh, ultimately, leading up, you don't want to be like, and he mentions a particular individual, um, Hollywood movie star, entertainer type. And, uh, and he says, you don't want to be like the world. And then he goes on with the voice higher now that the only way you want to be is like Jesus Christ. And there's a little bit of silence. And then all of a sudden the people start clapping. They stop clapping and then there's a brief moment of silence. And you know what he said to them? He said... I don't know why you're clapping. 
I'm talking about you. Ooh, I can tell you, that stopped me in my tracks. I went back and I played that again. I have played it back again a couple times because that just hit me like somebody smacked me on a cold day. I thought, wow, that's me. That's me. We're clapping because we got a warm, fuzzy feeling because we're Christians. And he went on to say, because he doesn't know who he's talking to. He doesn't know how many Christians he's talking to. He doesn't know how many unsaved people he's talking to. Uh, and then he went on to say, so you know, and I encourage you to, to watch it. He said, look, I didn't come here to get applause, and I didn't come here to get amens. Because, you know, he started this, I think that he said, you know, he lost a little sleep, thinking about an unsaved world, so to speak. You get a moment, if you're on YouTube, look it up and, uh, and watch it. If you, if you want to know what it is, I'll look it up and I'll give you the name, the title of it. But I'll tell you, that stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, wow, how much I take for granted every single day. Not content. Okay, is there anything else that is required of the Christian when it comes to contentment? And we could go on on this one for a while. I'm just going to mention it this morning. And it's one word. Here's the struggle. Submission. Submission. Because we are saved, because we gave our life to Christ, and we believe that He is the Son of God, doesn't stop there, does it? That's not the same as submitting ourselves. We submitted ourselves at the moment, right? Especially if you came here and you went through the waters of baptism. Yeah, but you've got a life to live. So submitting yourself to Christ and to the Lord every day, here's the tough part. Here is the tough road to walk. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And let's go back then in the first six verses preceding verse 7 in James. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Lord, let me win the lottery. wonder how many times some, that's been prayed. Saved or unsaved. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the... Here we go. Ready? If you're ready, say amen. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Let that sink in for a moment. Friendship of the world. That's a broad term. But if we are wanting worldly things to bring us contentment, kind of makes us an enemy of God, doesn't it? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us 
lusteth, lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. We as Christians need to work hard to find contentment and even more so to keep it. It's an attitude and it's a mindset, as we said before. And like I said, take it incrementally. Find some area in our lives, whether it's reading Scripture, whether it's spending more time in prayer, whether it's being more focused in our prayer life, keeping others in prayer before ourselves, being specific. We just read, don't ask, you have not. Why? Because you ask amiss, right? So if you have a need, it's good to be specific. Now look, that's a whole other sermon on prayer. I have read as you have, you know, lots of people and their thoughts on prayer. There are people that have a prayer closet, a space, whether it's a room, whether it is a closet uh, that they go into. Some people will pray in a prone position on your knees. Think about the last time that we did that and we prayed on our knees as opposed to just being in prayer. I think God's happy that we are in prayer, but let's do it with focus Let's do it with the right attitude. Let's do it with the right mindset. It not only allows us to be at peace, and that's a key word. Peace, contentment equals peace. Let's leave it a kind of a mathematical equation, right? Just because of the equal sign. Contentment equals peace. So if that's what you're searching for and I'm searching for, let's leave here today just telling ourselves, seriously, we're, we're going to make some incremental step to go close, closer to the Lord and therefore strengthen our relationship with Him so that we can be content, so that we can have peace. And when we do have that peace, you know what happens? It's inevitable. If you are content more times than not, if you're at peace more times than not, that is going to spill over in the life of everyone we encounter. Think that's a true statement? It is a true statement. If you're at peace, if you're content, it's going to spill over. I, I, I go back, and I'll leave you with this. Um, I can think of uh, someone that uh, probably most people here don't know, uh, but uh, the name, I'll mention her name, Gladys Holcomb. How many people know Gladys Holcomb? Okay. Uh, she used to stand at the back of the church uh, when I was much younger. And I don't remember a time not seeing her happy or just a wonderful smile on her face. And we all know Christians like that, right? We may know people like that. But, you know, uh, that's a whole other subject, the, you know, uh, I'm a good person, right? So I'm going to heaven. No, it takes more than that. You're not going to heaven unless you accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But when you meet someone like that that is just genuinely happy and they exude joy, 
it brightens your day. You could do that with having, without, they talk to you and you say nothing back to them. So if you are at peace, you are going to give a good witness and you are going to affect the lives of others, I assure you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you again for being able to dig into your word this morning. Father, we are weak. And we are only strong through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would be with us and help us to do a better job of being a good witness for your kingdom. We're thankful for what Christ did for us at Calvary. And Lord, if there's one listening here this morning that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they hear him tugging at their heartstrings but doing nothing about it, we just pray for that person this morning that it, that individual would turn their life over to you and then tell somebody about it. And so, Lord, for all those listening today, I, we pray for a good week of head, ahead and thank you for the blessings that you give us. Let us do our best as we leave these church doors to touch the lives of others in a positive way. And we don't do that lightly without asking you first to touch our lives so that we might be enabled to do your kingdom work. It could be just a kind word and a kind deed. Thank you for all that you do for us. And we give praise, thanks, honor, and glory to our Lord and Savior for all that he did for Calvary. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen.